This fall, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we'll be in chapter 15, our second to last chapter. Over the last 12 weeks, we've been going through this letter written by Paul that was written 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus to address issues going on in the church. And although this text wasn't written specifically to us, it is written for us. And in this particular chapter, chapter 15, we find Paul's final point and arguably the most important. So important that he dedicates 58 verses to making this point. It's the third longest chapter in the New Testament, roughly 1,200 words. Sounds like a great time to ask for a volunteer reader. (laughs) So far, we have seen how this church was struggling with division, disunity, cliques, And in light of all these struggles, Paul leads the people on a path to redemption through ways of love, unity, and building up the church. And as his final point, he argues that Jesus being raised from the dead is the foundation to which all of this, all that he's been talking about so far to this point, to which all of it stands. Now the problem at hand is named in verse 12 of chapter 15. Let me read it for you. It says, if If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, then how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, I want you to notice that word, if. I know it sounds like a basic word, but 13 times Paul uses this word, and it's actually how he structures his whole argument. He structures it around this word. He says, if the resurrection didn't happen, but what if the resurrection did happen? And so we'll follow Paul's lead this morning in this structure and talk about what if it didn't happen, but what if it did? You see, the problem at hand where there's this group of people in the church saying there was no resurrection, it's impossible. It's outside of their their frame of reference. And before we jump in, I do want to acknowledge for us here today that there are likely people even here amongst us that are still skeptical, still hesitant, about whether the resurrection of Jesus happened. And I'd want to be transparent with you. I've definitely had moments in my life where I've wondered, is any of this really true? So if that's you, if you're a skeptic, if you have questions or doubts, know that this is a safe place for you. I hope that, at least I hope it is. If you can't talk about these things at the church, then where can we talk about them? This is the place that you can bring your real self, the raw self, with questions, doubts, Um, things you're wrestling with. Because I know in my life, as I've brought my doubts forward, God has used that to create a deeper faith and trust in Jesus Christ and renewed my confidence in him. So back to our problem at hand, no resurrection. It's important to note that when we say the word resurrection, in biblical times, it meant something very specific. It meant a physical body that made a literal appearance after death. And if you made a claim like this, that someone resurrected, and it wasn't true, then you would be put to death. Making a claim like this was risky. So there was this group of people saying, hey, what if we don't really, what if we don't need to make this claim that Jesus was resurrected? What if we can all just agree that Jesus was a great teacher, healer, preacher, prophet, but why don't we just agree to disagree that Jesus actually physically resurrected from the dead? 
They were likely thinking, perhaps it was more Jesus came back in a spiritual body versus a physical one. Like Casper, or like the angels in the the Old Testament. You see, in this time period, it was a lot easier to believe in a spiritual being than a physical body coming back after death. So with this way of thinking, they were in agreement. Yeah, Jesus did come back, but he didn't resurrect. No harm, no foul, right? But the bottom line is, for someone to be killed and then appear to people in a physical body with the marks on his hands from his death, that seems pretty out there. I mean, can you imagine, have you seen someone physically resurrect from the dead? For us today, often we talk about Christ is risen. You know, on Easter, we hear it every year, Christ is risen, Christ is risen. We hear it so often that we can just equate it to, you know, good news, gospel, check, like, I know this stuff. And I know I'm speaking to people in the church where you've heard it before. It almost is like Christ is risen is this white noise that we almost tune out what it actually means. And on Easter, as you drive around this neighborhood, you see those white crosses up around that say, He is risen. Now, I want you to think about for a second, in this context, in biblical times of 1 Corinthians, if you put a a white cross out on your doorstep or in your front yard, that was setting yourself up for persecution, hatred, and even death. Would you still put that white cross outside on your front lawn? But in this, so now that we understand the context that this group is feeling and experiencing, let's go ahead and open up God's word this morning in chapter 15. And as you're turning to it, let me pray for us as we open God's word. Lord, we thank you for your presence and the ways that you speak to us through your word. We ask that your spirit right now give us eyes to hear, ears to hear eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive all that you have for us on this day. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, we'll start reading in verse one. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and to which you stand, and by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, top priority, what I also received. Paul is saying, okay, this is the reason why we preach. This is the reason why we live our lives differently. Well, what is this reason? It goes on. It says, this good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. With, in accordance with the scriptures. Now, it's important to notice that Paul, he does name three pieces, three facts about the gospel. He says that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and then he was raised from the dead. But for this particular chapter, we're going to focus in on point number three, that Jesus was raised from the dead. What if, so let's go back to the verse 12. It says, what if there is no resurrection, this problem that Paul is addressing. So Paul names the consequences if there's no resurrection, starting down in verse 13. So we're going to skip around, but come to 13, and we'll come back up in a second. It says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. 
we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he was he has raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope in this life only then we are of all people most to be pitied are you still with me that was a lot What Paul is saying here is if Christ has not been raised, then Jesus Christ is still dead, which means our preaching has no point. Your faith has no point. It's all pointless. He says, he concludes, we are people most to be pitied. And why is this? Well, we look throughout scripture and we see that we are sinful people. We have this broken relationship with God and we are stuck in our sins as unholy, unrighteous people. And we need a way to connect with God the Father, but we're stuck in our sins. And he said, without Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, we're stuck. We're without hope. And if this is the case, and Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, what should we do? Well, Paul tells us what we should do in verse 32. He says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Yikes. So if we have no head of the church, no path to redemption, no fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, without Jesus being resurrected from the dead, the crucifixion is nothing more than another failed Messiah. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And if that's the case, then on Sundays we should sleep in and we should get brunch together. Let's eat and drink and be merry and make the most of our day. Perhaps with the holidays ahead, this doesn't sound half bad. Let's all forget this faith, faith lingo and mumbo-jumbo and just enjoy today. If Jesus wasn't resurrected from the day, the dead, there's no need to come to church, no need to gather. If Jesus isn't who he said he is and was, then we are people most to be pitied because we are wasting our time. So let's break and all go to brunch. But then here's the crux of his argument. But what if it's true? What if Jesus really was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit? That means that Jesus being resurrected isn't just a footnote in God's story. It's a core piece to God's redemptive story. As it says in verse 3, it's of first importance. What if Jesus really was resurrected from the dead? Paul says, you don't have to take my word for it. Let me tell you all the people that Jesus appeared to. He starts in verse 6. He says, Jesus appeared to Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Over 500 people saw Jesus firsthand. Paul says, this is undeniable. You don't have to take my word for it. Ask any of these people. Evidence is important to helping us understand and making sense of what is true. And it wasn't like these people got a prize or a scripture memory verse for saying or being on this list and saying that Christ rose from the dead. Actually, it was the latter. If they made a claim and it wasn't true, they would be put to death. Who would want to give their life for a lie? 
I was chatting with my brother-in-law who does homicide investigation here in Dallas, and he was reminding me how, you know, back in this day and age, evidence and finding out the truth, the only and best way to find evidence would be through eyewitness testimony. This was long before DNA and photos and video footage and ring doorbell cameras and all the technology we have today, Apple watches. The best form of evidence would have been eyewitness testimony. And thankfully for us, Jesus didn't spend just one day on earth after, his resurrection, after he was resurrected. He spent 40 days appearing to brothers and sisters, all these men and women, talking about who he is and sharing the Great Commission with us. So it makes sense that Paul's best form of evidence is naming off each person and group who Jesus appeared to. You know, they were different eyewitnesses, yet all they, were, they were all saying the same thing. Jesus was resurrected. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, if Jesus being raised from the dead is true, then Christianity isn't just a set of ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It includes and indeed gives energy to all of those things. But at its heart, it's good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same. And those who live by it will never be the same either. If it's true, Jesus being resurrected, it changes everything. Paul says it's either all vain or it's all true. Which is it? What if the powers of evil that capture our news headlines today, what if, the, what if the evil that captures our news headlines today, what if, okay, what if the news evil captures our headlines today, but what if Jesus Christ has already broken in? What if Jesus Christ is our firstborn? What if when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the ending was ultimately revealed, death is defeated? What if the whole story of God starts with a physical creation and it ends with a physical creation? Ultimately, Jesus being resurrected, it shows us that death is not the end. It's like a missing chapter at the end of a book and God reveals the ending. God wins. Paul says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there will be no more pain, and the dead will be raised. So through Jesus being resurrected, God reveals himself not just through words, but through action. It's validation that God is all he says he is. He is Lord. Death couldn't hold him down. In verse 54, it says it this way. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God took bad news. We were stuck in our sin, unholy and unrighteous. And at Jesus' death, there were three days of silence. It looked like another failed Messiah. But God took bad news, and turned it into good news. God is alive, and we have victory. And through Jesus Christ, we are brought into right relationship with God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, unholy to, to holy in God's sight. What if Jesus is the Messiah, the risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ? That means God is alive. He is active. 
God is all that he says he was and he is. And that means when we profess the name of Jesus Christ, we proclaim not just a person, but also the name by which God's promises are being fulfilled and and will be fully revealed in an age to come. You see, the greatest enemy in our life to be destroyed is death. And if Jesus was raised from the dead, then in the resurrection, God puts everything, pain, death, suffering, under his feet. Sin, guilt, and death are defeated. Our king is alive. But, you know, in my life, I don't know about you, but I forget. I forget that Jesus is being resurrected from the dead changes everything. Life is hard, chaotic. We see suffering and family and friends. We experience death of loved ones, and it's really difficult. And I'm quick to wonder, if this event 2,000 years ago is true, then why are death and pain and suffering still here? I want to share a story from this week. Earlier this week, we were in South Carolina. We were with my husband's grandma, who we call Nana. And I think we have a picture of this. This is Nana. She turned 100 years old this week. And her body, just a little bit about her, you know, she's 100 years old. Her body is declining. It's harder to walk and get up and down. Technology and life have changed a lot since 1922. She has aches and pains that are normal for living a century. She has a million reasons to complain and be hopeless and unsatisfied with life. I mean, who would blame her? Would you blame her? No. But the whole time we were there with Nana this week, she never once named an ache or a pain, though I'm sure they were there. She continually just named reasons that she was grateful and blessings she saw around her. And that's just how she is. That's since I've gotten to know her. She's always been that way. As we arrived and walked into her room, she immediately asked about my life and then proceeded to ask if she could babysit our two-year-old toddler. She is the most selfless woman. With Nana, everyone feels seen. No one feels judged. As each person gave their toast at her birthday party, I realized that it wasn't just me who noticed this. Person after person talked about this irresistible hope that Nana has. It just radiates off of her. Every person seems to feel it. I asked Nana her secret, and this is what she said. She said, Sterling, you know, God has always been there for me. Jesus is alive with me, so there's nothing I can't handle. And then she said, sometimes I just have to pinch myself because it all seems too good to be true. Nana knows the end of the story. God wins. And because of that, she doesn't wake up needing to strive or earn or prove herself. She doesn't fight to be the center of the story. This foundation on Jesus seems to give her this sense of purpose and freedom as she walks about her life. And she, in turn, it causes her to release this desire for things to be fair or for people to serve her. She just has this sense of freedom and purpose. From her love through Jesus, it in turn causes her to have this lens of just seeing everything around her as a blessing and a gift. Her witness of Jesus makes everyone in the family, including me, curious. I want more of what she has. This foundation on Jesus, it leads practically out in her life. It leads to action. You know, Nana's faith reminds me that Jesus being resurrected, it gives us hope in a hopeless world. In our pain and in our suffering, in our loss, 
We know that ultimately God overcomes. God wins. And does this mean that suffering goes away? Not necessarily. But what it does mean is that someday, whether this in this life or in our future resurrection, that we will be free of pain and suffering because Jesus has the last word. God is who he says he is, and that gives us hope to keep going. Not only that, but in the peaks and in the valleys, God gives us this promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he asked God the Father to send down the Holy Spirit so that we would always have God with us, that we are never alone. And I know that God, he doesn't promise life to be all tulips and bluebell ice cream, although that sounds like a wonderful life, but God does promise to be with us. And with a God who is alive and active, a God who keeps his word, that promise is real and possible. The resurrection shows us that the bad stuff, evil, that fights for our headlines, it doesn't have the last word. Evil has been defeated. The story ends well, and that gives us hope to keep going. So let's go, let me go back to these verses I skipped in verses 9 through 11, because it shows how this, the resurrection of Jesus, how it impacts Paul and his life. Paul says this in verse 9. It says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I was persecuted, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. I think Paul's story is a beautiful reminder that If you ever think you're too far from God's love or God's grace, Paul was persecuting Christians. He was killing people that followed Jesus. And yet, God's love and grace, God reaches out towards him. So no matter your story and no matter your background, know that you, each of us, have an opportunity to receive God's grace through Jesus Christ. I love that Paul kept naming God's grace in these verses because it's a reminder that it is out of grace. It's meaning we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to clean up our life before we come before God, but it's in our brokenness, in our inability to save ourselves, that God chooses us, that God loves us. So how do we recenter on this foundation of this belief of Jesus being raised from the dead? Well, Paul would say we, sent, we turn towards God and we receive this gift of grace, this free gift given in love by God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, a beautiful thing about God's grace is it not only saves us, although it does save us, but it also shapes us. Just look at Nana and her life. Look at Paul and his life in Scripture. Grace not only saves us, but it shapes us. And you see, as Paul understood and believed in God's grace, it then moved him to action and moved him to preach and to do what we see, all the things he did in Scripture. It's by faith that we're saved for works. And I love how in verse 11, Paul said, this is why we preach, this so that you, so that each of us may believe. One final note that I was thinking about, you know, when the disciples told Thomas one of the disciples, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Thomas was the one, you might know him as Doubting Thomas, because he responded with hesitancy and doubt and question. 
He said, unless I see the nail marks in Jesus's hands and put my fingers where the nails were and my hand into his side, then I will, be- I will not believe until this point. You know, a week later, Jesus did prove it to Thomas. And Jesus let Thomas put his finger where the nails were and let Thomas put his hand in his side. And I just love this picture in scripture, how we serve a God that reveals himself even to the skeptic, even to the one with questions and hesitancy. And then Jesus told Thomas, he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. In conclusion, I want you to think about if Jesus was resurrected. Because if he was, this is the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith. And as much as I want to think, that this message is for people outside the church. Paul wrote this letter for a group of people in the church. So I wonder, who is this message for this morning? I know for me, and I hope for each of you. And you know, it was even that after this letter was written in 1 Corinthians, that the church continued to dispute and debate whether or not Christ truly has 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 resurrected in this physical body. And that's why each week in the Apostles' Creed, we say this line. We say, um, Jesus rose again on the third day so that weekly we can clarify and confidently say this truth together. There is unity in standing on the same foundation. If we have Jesus, the risen Savior in common, then that is far greater than anything that could threaten to divide us. Jesus first, everything else second. So my question to leave you with, do you believe Jesus was resurrected? And if you have questions or doubts, jot them down. And I wanted to put up a couple resources. If you do want to read more and you want to explore more and look at the evidence, there's a couple resources on the screen. And if you know with confidence that Jesus was resurrected, then my question is this, how is it daily impacting your life? How is it impacting you as a parent, as a spouse? as a neighbor? Is it daily impacting your life, this good news that Christ has risen? Because there is good news that saves. Jesus defeated death. Jesus is our Lord. He's alive and active. There is reason to sing and rejoice. What if Jesus being resurrected from the dead really does change everything? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that you defeated death. We thank you for your resurrection power that is, that is here today. You are alive, our risen Savior. And for anyone wanting to your resurrection power, wanting to recenter on this truth, we pray this right now. We say, right now we turn to you. We turn from our inability to save ourselves, and we focus on you, and we say we're putting you as our foundation. Our loving Father, We accept your gift of grace that you offer us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May this be the foundation to which we stand and that we live our life. We give this to you right now in your son's name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.